that we would draw near to you. Lord, you're all that we want and need tonight, God. Lord Jesus, you are Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer. Come tonight, God, heal us, body and soul. Heal our heart, Lord, broken, oppressed, hurting. Lord, save us, Lord, from our own emotional and spiritual prison that we're caught in. And God, only you can free us, Lord. But we know, Lord, as you call us to be your child, Lord, we are free indeed. And we become adopted, Lord, into your love, into your family. I pray, Lord, that as we continue to worship you and look to you and your word, that you would bless us this time, God, and that you anoint it with your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you can grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 4 tonight. Luke chapter 4. And we're going to continue our verse-by-verse study here. Luke chapter 4. I was reading about a a while back in um, July of 2016 in this uh, small village of 30,000. It's named Mundelein in Illinois. Uh, The sounds of children's voices were heard shouting something, listen, that has not been heard for 53 years. See, all this time there's been a ban prohibiting ice cream trucks. No one knows exactly why. It might have been due to maybe safety concerns, public safety, accident prevention, all that. But this was the first time since John F. Kennedy was president that children heard the jingle jangle. You know what I'm talking about. You know when the ice cream trucks come by. The jingle jangle, the warbling melody coming from the white panel truck with the colorful pictures of frozen treats on its side. One mother who actually started the online petition to allow uh, ice cream trucks back again said, I now love watching them scream and go looking in the window. And then she, she said, it's the rite of passage of all children and adults should experience. I don't know about you, but I remember those ice cream trucks, right? And so what were these children screaming? The ice cream man, the ice cream man, he's here, he's here. (laughs) I thought that was kind of cool because you know what? As we continue in our verse-by-verse study here through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus returns to his hometown and shows after all the hundred years of prophecy that's like in the Old Testament, the Messiah is finally here. Jesus officially now goes out starting ministry and you can say he's here he's here and so the title of our message tonight is this jesus is here jesus is here we're going to be studying luke chapter 4 from verse 9 through 13 tonight and we're going to see three things here and i've broken up our our passage i'm sorry 9 through 30 i believe i think i did that wrong yeah 9 through 30 and we're going to see three things here and i've broken our passage up into these three things. Number one, the ministry begins. Number two, the mission statement of Jesus. And number three, the missed opportunity. The missed opportunity. So we begin here, number one, in our outline, the ministry begins. The ministry begins. Now we're going to cover verses 14 and 15 here in Luke chapter 4. Did I say verse 9? Sorry, we're going 14 through 30. Sorry, uh, I know everyone's all confused. They didn't even hear one thing I said, right, up until now. Well, anyway, sorry, verse 14 through 30. Sorry. So, number one, the ministry begins, two verses, verse 14 and 15 in this section. So take a look with me here, Luke chapter 4, verse 14. It says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he caught, uh, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And we'll stop there. So we begin here, and Luke is going on and writing about this account about Jesus. And he says in verse 14, and Jesus returned, and he returned to Galilee, says in a little bit at the end of that, that phrase. So 
Jesus now returned back to the northern area of Israel, and that's Galilee. We could call it like Galilee County, like we live in Maui County. And there he is making his way back to his hometown of Nazareth, which we'll see in a moment. So he's making his way back to Galilee, all the way targeting his hometown. So he returned. What did he return from? Well, you remember, we had just studied how, uh, well, in the not just in the past month, we studied how Jesus was baptized by the Jordan, by John the Baptist. That was the official start of the ministry for him and coming out, right? Then the first thing he did was what? He went and battled the devil in the desert, in the wilderness, right, with his these temptations. And if you missed that, you can catch it on our podcast and online on our YouTube channel, Facebook too. But, but right, so it was after the baptism, after the battle now, now he returned. He's going back to Galilee. But notice in between that, the writer Luke Right, it says here, in the power of the Spirit. Now, that's not the first time we've seen this, but we see, once again, Luke brings out that here's Jesus going forth in his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Luke's whole gospel is focusing on Jesus' humanity. We know Jesus is all God, but he's also all Man, he's a he's a human being. So he's going forth in submission to doing the Father's will, and also as a human being in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Luke adds that there that we understanding that. So he's going out, he's stepping out, and finally into ministry. And it says a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. So in that whole surrounding area of Galilee, as he's making his way to Nazareth, he's ministering already. And a lot of that is found in John, in, a, in the Gospel of John, from chapter 1 through 4. And we're not going to get all into that, but we understand his ministry was going on. And so his ministry was already making news to everybody around in that region. And what was he doing? Well, it says in verse 15 that he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So everyone was like, whoa, this guy can teach. Whoa, this guy speaks for God. And so he would go throughout the region, throughout the towns, teaching in the synagogues. They say back then, in this whole county of Galilee in the northern of Israel, there's 240 synagogues out there. And the synagogue was really a, a gathering place that's what it means for the Jews to be able to learn. They had the temple in Jerusalem where they go and do their feasts, their annual feasts and celebrations and all and sacrifices. But the synagogues was the, like the local church. Like they could go there and, and learn. The young kids would, would you know, learn from the rabbis there and they would get, the, get together there on the Sabbath and have their Sabbath ceremony or services. So... Here's Jesus making his way to Nazareth, going around in Galilee. And so you see, right away, his ministry begins here with heading back to his home area, going to his home area, he's heading to his hometown. And, and I love this. We see him as specifically, Luke says in verse 15, that he taught in the synagogue. So he's specifically in his ministry, is going out preaching the word, you guys. He's in the Word. He's preaching the Word. He's preaching from, from the scriptures that they had, and plus he's God, right? So he's speaking the Word. So he's preaching the Word. And so here he is, Jesus, the first thing after the baptism, after the battle with the devil, and now he's stepping out in his ministry. He's traveling on his way home. And you know what the first thing he does? He's already making an impact, teaching the Word in his home territory, you can speak. So here's, here's what we see right away. Jesus' ministry in the Word begins in his home area first. And that's really the point I want you to get. I want you to see that just in these first two verses that Jesus' ministry in, uh, in the Word begins in his home area first. He begins at home, basically, in his home area. That's where he heads toward. After the the baptism, the battle, and everything. He, he goes to his home territory, his home area, his home county, and he's heading toward Nazareth, and we're going to see more of that. 
You know, one of the many hats that I wore when I was associate pastor on staff at a Calvary Chapel in California, I was the missions pastor. It was one of the things we, I did. And, 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 you know, whenever someone felt like, oh, called to the mission field, like going to a foreign country, you know, one of the, the, the biggest qualifications that I would look for is had they been serving in mission work at home? Because it's important that we are missionaries at home first. I'll tell you, that was the one of the things that really impressed me about Lane, right? Um, he, he's gone out from us, one of our own, and he's on Miyako Island in Okinawa right now, right? And, and, you know, one of the things that I told him when God was calling him out, I said, you know what? God has picked the best flower in the garden, you know, because he's already like on fire for Jesus. He's this light. Everywhere he goes, he's praying for people, sharing Jesus, you know. So he's already doing that mission work here at home. And now God plucked him, brought him out with his wife, Nahoko, and there on Miyako Island doing what he was doing here. So we see Jesus here. Jesus' ministry in the Word begins in his home area at first. And I'll tell you, I think that's even important for us to apply, even us here, us who are serving in ministry, involved in ministry. You know, I think it's important to understand your ministry starts in your home first. So we want to keep that in mind. All right, so number one, the ministry begins. And number two, let's go on our outline to the mission statement. The mission statement. Now, here we're going to cover verses 16 through 21. I believe I got that right. But as we go, we'll see. Um, 16 through 21. But first of all, take a look with me here with the first two verses in this section, verse 16 and 17. So Luke, the writer, goes on and says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. We'll stop right there. So we see now he, he's in the home area of Galilee, his county, and then he makes his way. He finally makes it to Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is his hometown. And remember, Nazareth was a sleepy, no-name you know, village, a small town, hardly anyone ever knew about it. And that's where Jesus grew up. He was born in Bethlehem. Right, But he ended up back where his parents were from, Joseph and Mary, in Nazareth. So he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And I like, as was his custom, as he was doing already, going around, preaching the word. And I like that thought, by the way, that he's preaching the word in the synagogues. Because it wasn't like Jesus was all about doing all these miracles and all that. He did. And as we go through the rest of this gospel, we're going to see those things, but we're also going to see his teaching and interaction. But one of the main things, I love this, that he taught in the synagogue as his custom, kind of like what we're doing here. I mean, I, I grew up, after I was saved young, grew up with the teaching of the word verse by verse. And so it's kind of like what we're doing here. So he went to the synagogue. It was a Sabbath day. That's right on Saturday when they traditionally met and had their Sabbath service. And he stood up to read now. And notice here in verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Back then, they didn't have like Bibles, you know, like we have, right? Back then, it was a scroll. And they had this big bin with all these scrolls of the books of the Old Testament. The New Testament wasn't written yet. And so, so the, the scroll, I don't know. I was trying to think of this today. Was was did he request Isaiah? Maybe he did, or maybe that happened to be the reading for that week. I don't know, but it was timed perfectly. So either way, the scroll of Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled it. Now, right? He unrolls like the two wound things, unrolls it like this, and I, I don't know, like in the movies you see, right? So he unrolls the scroll and found the place where it was written. So he unrolls it and comes to really what he, we're going to see in the next part is that he read from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, but only beginning of verse 2. So he got to that place where he's going to read this prophecy. Now, Isaiah 61 really is a messianic type of prophecy. It's talking about the Messiah there. And so he here's Jesus unrolling it to that place, and he stands to read it. And then, so take a look here in verse 18, just 18. So 
He reads this. The Spirit, he's standing now and reading the scroll. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And we'll stop right there. The next verse will finish it off. But I want to I focus in on this. So Jesus turns to Isaiah, and we know in our Bibles it's Isaiah 61. He gets into this place, this prophecy of what the Messiah will come and do. And so Jesus, here he is, Jesus, in the synagogue now. He's been doing some ministry, but here he comes to his hometown. And I'll tell you, this is where Jesus reads the mission statement of his ministry, of why he came to this earth, why he came from heaven, God, the Son, coming and became a man to die on a cross. And it's right here in this, the mission statement. And, and I love this. I mean, this is amazing time. Only Luke records this out of Mark, Matthew, Mark, you know, and John. Only Luke puts this in. I think this is awesome because we get a picture of what's in his heart. It's prophecy coming true. So let's take a look at this. There's four things here that we see. So basically, the Spirit of the Lord we talked about, that it's upon him. It's an anointed, uh, empowered Jesus now. To number one, bring the gospel to the poor. And that's the first thing we see. He says, in quotes Isaiah 61, verse 1, to proclaim good news to the poor. Now the word proclaim is different from the other words proclaim we're going to be reading in this verse. This first verse in the Greek, it actually means to bring. And so that's why the first thing we see is in his mission statement is to bring the gospel to the poor. So here he is. He's to proclaim the good news. What's the good news? That's what gospel means, right? The good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him uh, will not perish but have eternal life, that Jesus will come and die on the cross for our sins. So that's the good news, that the Messiah has come to save the people. So the first thing in his mission statement is to bring the gospel to the Poor. Now, why, does, why is the word poor there? The word poor in the Greek means to cringe or shrink back, to cower, that kind of thing. But the idea is that, that he's come to save those who before God are spiritually poor, you can say. Spiritually bankrupt. Spiritually, like, broken. In other words, they cannot do anything to save themselves. They cannot do it in themselves. They need someone to come and save them. So that's the idea that we're poor spiritually. We, we, we don't have anything in that way. So this good news is that Jesus has come to save you because we cannot save ourselves. We're in this poor state, you can say, because sin has overtaken us. Sin has messed us up. Sin has made us in this way in our flesh that we cannot do enough good to to be able to atone for our own sins. So that's the idea. So the first thing we see in his mission statement is to bring the gospel to the poor. The second thing he says is in the mission statement is to release the sin-strapped captives. That's the way I put it. So that's number two here. Look at verse 18 once again. He goes on and he says, He has sent me in the middle. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. So Jesus is sent. The word proclaim here is, it means to announce in this, this part, liberty that, uh, to the captives. Now the word liberty is the Greek word aphesis, and it means to release. It means to free. But do you know the, the same word is used in another way in the Bible? It means to forgive. So isn't that awesome? That we're released through the forgiveness of our sins. That we've been strapped, we've been in bondage, we've been under the, 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 the consequences of our sin. We've been taken captive or prisoner here. And so here's the second mission statement that Jesus has come to release the sin-strapped captives. And that's... That's who we are before Christ. We've been in bondage, chained to our sin, and under the prison of our consequences of sin. But Jesus has come to release, to set at liberty us captives. You know, MacArthur, John MacArthur wrote, Lost sinners 
imagine that they are free and see Christianity as infringing on their right to to be and to do what they want to. But that is, he goes on to say, a tragic deception. Sinners are not free. We understand that. I love that. I mean, before we came to Jesus, we thought, oh, no, I don't want to go to church. I don't don't want to, oh, Christianity, I don't want to get into that because I like doing what I do. But in reality, you're not free. You're in bondage to those things. You cannot free yourselves. But the reality really is that Jesus has come to free you from the bondage of sin. So here's Jesus. His second mission statement is to release the sin strap captives. Then he goes on. And the third, number three, I'll give you, I'll give you how I write it. In the mission statement is open the eyes of the spiritually blind. So we see, bring the gospel to the poor, release the sin strap captives, and open the eyes of the spiritually blind. And you can see this in verse 18, because the next thing he says, he's reading here in Isaiah 61, and recovering of sight to the blind. What's he talking about? How blind we are to the truth of God. You know what I was thinking about? You know the, the, the hymn, right? Amazing Grace, right? Um, how's it go? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. And you definitely me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was what? Blind. But now I what? See, right? That's it. God comes into our life, saves us, and he opens our eyes to the truth of God, who, who He is, that He's this great and holy God, and He loves us so much. But our sin separated us from Him. But because He loved us so much, He, he wanted to be together, but the sin problem was there. So what did He do? He sent Jesus to die on a cross, take care of the sin problems, to forgive us and free us from our sin, and so that we would be able to live for Him now and bring us together with Him. That's the truth. The truth we see about our holy God and His love for us. That's our eyes being opened to the truth of the gospel of God and His word. And I don't know about you too. Once, once I came to the Lord and I started reading the Bible, oh, things just started making sense. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit gives us insight and understanding of the word. And so all these things happen. So literally He does open our eyes to His truth. And then the last thing we see here, number four on my list, is free the heavily oppressed. So we see bring the gospel to the poor, release the sin-strapped captives, open the eyes of the spiritually blind. And number four, free the heavily oppressed. And look what he says at the end of verse 18. He says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Again, liberty there means to release. It means to forgive. Also, uh, to set free, you can say, that word liberty, those who are oppressed. Now, understand something here. At this time when Jesus came on the scene, at this time, the Jewish people were overwhelmed by not just the painful things in their life, and, and literally many of the most of the, the, the population was very poor monetarily-wise, but, but they were also under this oppression thinking that God did not like them, that God was, was, was angry at them. You know why? It was because of the teaching of the Pharisees. And we're going to get more into that when we get into Luke. But these Pharisees were these like high makamaka kind of guys. And they thought they were the holy priests and everyone else was below them. They followed the law. They were the priests. They were these holy ones. And so they were above the people. And you know what? They would teach the people this. They would teach, you guys are poor because you're sinners. Because God's favor is not upon you. And we're rich. And they had money. They had power. And they said, we're rich because we're holy. And that was all wrong. That wasn't the Lord at all. So you can see when Jesus was saying this, to set a liberty free, to forgive, release those who are oppressed, that they would be freed from the oppression of this wrong thinking, of thinking that they're not good enough. Yeah, they are poor spiritually, but Jesus has come to save them, right? Yeah, they're, they're captive in their sins like even the Pharisees were. But 
Jesus has come to free them from that captivity. And so Jesus comes in, and you know what? He even, he even like said it, said it straight to the Pharisees. Uh, in Matthew 23, 4, and this is the uh, New Living Translation, he told the Pharisees this, um, or, or talked about the Pharisees in this manner. The Pharisees, they crush people with their unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease their burden. So they came in with this legalism, like, you got to do this, you got to do that, don't do this, do this. And they were under that so much, they were oppressed because they could not live up to that. And then even Jesus exposes the, the, the Pharisees that you guys can't even live up to that either. So when Jesus came, he's like, hey, I've come to release that oppression upon you. Remember, Jesus said, my, my yoke is light, my burden is light. I've come, you know, to, to, to give you peace, you know. And, and so Jesus came with this whole thing that, you know, you cannot follow all these do's and don'ts to be holy enough to go into heaven and gain God's favor. But I've come to pay the price or the penalty of your sin so that you don't have to worry about that. I've atoned for all your sins and I'm going to give you a new life that you can live before God. And so Jesus comes in with this whole new thing. And you know what, it, it, it really hits my heart, this last thing, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That, that in his mission statement, Jesus wants to free the heavily oppressed. You know, let, let me pause for a moment. Is that you tonight? Have you been living with that oppression? How about this? Have you grown up maybe like not being able to live up to those expectations? I felt that. Feeling inadequate, you're all maybe insecure even about yourself. That weight and oppression of oh, I can't live up to this, or live up to my boss, or live up, you know, to my friends or what they want, and or my parents or whatever. You know what that's like, right? That's how the people felt like with God. And I think some of us who have grown up maybe even in that way that we kind of look at. Jesus that way we look at Christianity like oh I don't know if I can do that oh it's this I can't live up to that I'm having a hard time enough living up to what my parents want or what people want or this and all that but listen if you really look at this mission statement of what Jesus does in our lives you know what this is what the gospel is about this is why Jesus comes and I'll, let me tell you right now he wants to heal you he wants to he heal that brokenness inside you. He wants to heal you of your hurting heart. He, he wants to lift you up and show you, you know, it's not on you anymore. All you have to do is believe in what I've done and why I came. I love you and I'm here to help you in all of this. And if you realize that and accept them in your heart, you know what? You will find salvation. You will find that hope. You will find that release, the liberty that he's talking about here. You'll find there's so much hope packed into verse 18 here. You'll find that to be true. And so if you're here today or online, you're listening, go to Jesus. Receive him in your heart. Give him your life because Jesus has great things to offer you and it's right here in his mission statement. Well, he goes on now. Look at verse 19. And he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then verse 20, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And then verse 21, and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now this is an amazing moment here. So, first of all, verse 19, Jesus finishes off saying to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. You remember he first stood and read this? That was customary for anyone who, who is, who is going to read and preach on the scripture. And then once they read, the, the preacher actually sat down. I remember hearing someone saying that, you know, back then, actually, you know, well, today I stand up, you guys sit down. But back then, uh, the speaker sits down, everyone else stands up. So, but anyway, um, so he sat down. That was normal for him to teach. So he, he reads the scroll. He stops at that moment. He sits down to teach. But understand something now. I think everyone's wondering, 
wait, what's going on? Probably those, the rabbi, those elders there in the synagogue knew that there was more to this verse. He actually stopped in the middle of verse 2 in Isaiah 61. He, he just said the first part here in verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It actually goes on to, to say in the rest of verse 2, and, and the day of vengeance of our God. He didn't say that because the day of vengeance... That's not, that hasn't come yet. That talks about Jesus' second coming when he comes to judge the world. But he stopped at this moment in the first part, which is the first part of Jesus' coming, not his second coming, is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, this is the time that the Messiah is come. This is the time when God's favor is coming upon God's people when the Messiah Come. So he stops at that moment because the other part is his second coming. And so everyone's looking at him, probably some of the rabbis going, wait, there, there's more to that. Why did you stop in the middle of that? And everyone's, can you imagine the whole room like is super quiet, super quiet. And he probably does a long pause and he's sitting, everyone's looking at him. And then he opens in his mouth and he says this amazing words. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine Jesus is saying, what was foretold, what I just read, has come to be fulfilled in me. I, Jesus, is the Messiah. The year of the Lord, the era of the Messiah, the time of the Messiah has come right now. You're seeing it. It's being fulfilled right now. Jesus is here. The Messiah is here whole. Oh, can you imagine that? Can you imagine on that, that unexpected morning in the sleepy town of Sabbath, uh, Nazareth, the Sabbath Saturday saw something that's never seen before. Yeah? Here's this man. Everyone knew this man who grew up in that little town, right? Here, here's this man who grew up going to the same synagogue. He's, he's sitting in front of them He's red eyes and he's saying, I'm the Messiah. It's come fulfilled right now. Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. I mean, the, uh, maybe other rabbis who've read that scripture, they always taught on the future fulfillment of the coming Messiah and what he's going to do. He's going to come. He's going to bring vengeance. He's going to take over the Romans. He's going to bring the kingdom of God on the earth. And they finish verse 2, but Jesus stops in the middle. In the first time ever. The one sitting before them told them that they are witnessing the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah right before their eyes. What a moment that was. So what we see here, the time of the Messiah has officially come and it's Jesus with his mission to save people. That's Jesus. That's our Lord. That's what we see here. The time of the Messiah has officially come and it's Jesus with this mission to save people people. That's why he came. He didn't come to take over the Roman government. He became first to, to bring the kingdom of God into the hearts of the people. His second coming is going to bring the kingdom of God literally to the earth in his rule and reign. But this time, he was come to bring the kingdom into the heart. You know, one time our refrigerator, um, the, the freezer part was frosting up all inside, you know, and you looked inside and the, there's a little fan that kind of uh, sucks out all the uh, condensation so the white, you know, frost doesn't happen. And, and the fan wasn't moving, so it was all getting all white inside. So I called a friend and they, he came, looked at it, had me order a part, came back and fixed it. And, and he, he works for um, Sears, you know, or fixes appliances. So, you know, he was a good friend to call and he knew right away he got the job done and easy. And we were back on track, working, everything was working good. I was thinking, though, you know, when something like happens, when your, your refrigerator breaks, you don't call, like, the auto mechanic, right, to come and fix your refrigerator, right? Or if your car breaks down, you don't call the, the, the computer tech to come and fix, fix your, your, your axle on your car. No. You, well, in the same way, you know, who is the only one that can heal and fix your life? God, he's the one who made us, right? And he's the one who has the answer. He's know how to fix things. And so I was thinking, why do we go 
to other things, you know? Why do we go to other things to fix our broken heart or, or heal our hurting soul to free us from our sins? No, our maker, our God, who knows us through and through, who knows the problem, the, the root problem, everything knows the answer, and that is Christ and what he's done. Jesus is the answer to all life's problems, all ups and downs and everything, because he knows life, he knows us, and so we go to him. And we see that the time of the Messiah has officially come and it's Jesus with his mission to save people and we are people and so he's come to save us. We can go to other things to try and... Um, I was thinking about how we run you know, to alcohol, drugs, or Medicaid or whatever so we don't feel the hurt and pain. And that only lasts for a while, but the real healing comes... And the real issues are solved when we go to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're seeing in, the, in his mission statement here. So let's run to him first and always. Well, let's move on here to our last heading now. The missed opportunity. The missed opportunity. And we'll run through this a little bit more quickly. And we're going to cover from verse 22 to the end in this section. But first look at verse 22 from 24 it says and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth and they said is not this joseph's son and he said to them doubtless you will quote to me this proverb physician heal yourself what we have heard you did at capernaum do here to your hometown as well and he said truly i say to you no prophet is acceptable in his hometown so after he says this, you know, everyone in the room all spoke well of him and marveled at gracious word with gracious words. I, I think they're like, oh, Jesus, oh, you're, you're such a good speaker. Oh, Jesus, that, that's nice you say that. They're being gracious, you know. Oh, yeah, we see something in you, but oh, I don't know. And then they're probably like, is this what he's saying? Is that true? Wait, is this, isn't this Joseph's son? I mean, we remember him from his Hanabada days, right? You know, we, we, we saw him grow up. What? Him, the Messiah? Oh, it's okay, Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, patting him on the, on the back kind of thing. So then Jesus says, doubtless you will quote me this proverb. So there was probably this, this saying going around at that time saying, physician, heal yourself. So he's saying, you know, um, what you're going to tell me is like, well, if you're a doctor, you're really a doctor, you'll heal yourself. That's the saying. In other words, if you really did do these miracles that we're hearing about, or if you really do this ministry over there and people are saying great things about you, well, do it here. Let's see it. Come on. But you know what? They, they didn't really believe. They really had a hard heart toward him. And so they're just saying, well, come on, show us then, show us. That kind of thing. Well, Jesus is saying, you know, you're going to quote me that problem because you want me to do these things. But he said, truly, here's the truth, he said, I'll say to you, no prophet is acceptable acceptable in his hometown he goes here's the thing no no one's going to believe you know the guy who says he's a prophet the guy no one's going to believe from his hometown there's a saying it's been said familiarity breeds contempt and all experts are from out of town yeah and it and it's true it's true today yeah i mean you think about if i don't know maybe if you're growing up you tell your parents oh i'm gonna do this yeah, right. <laughs> you know, they don't believe it. No, no, really. I'm on. Yeah, right. You know, everyone else does, but your own family's like, yeah, no, we know you. We've seen you grow up. We know everything about you. And, and it's true. Familiarity, when you get to know someone, your superhero, and you get to know all their, their faults and kinks, kinks, you're like, oh, wow. You know, and, you, and you bring, it brings doubt, doubt into them. So that's what Jesus is facing now, this rejection. And so it was hard for his hometown to take you know that, what, you're the Messiah? For they knew Jesus from when he was small. Well, Jesus then takes this opportunity and he says this in verse 25. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And if you remember that story, this is from 1 Kings 17. Uh, Ahab, Jezebel, they're in power in Israel. Israel, all of Israel, most of all Israel was, 
was, was worshiping not God, but Baal, right? And because of Jezebel, the evil queen brought that in. And then also here's Elijah, the prophet sent to speak for God. And God judged the land by holding the rain. And so a famine came and all of that. And then during those days, right, uh, God provided for Elijah. And then God sent him to, to uh, this woman, this w- widow, Zeropath. He had a, she had a son, right? And, and God told him, uh, told his, Elijah, go there and ask her to cook her some bread. And she's like, um, well, we, we only have, we have our last you know, piece of flour and our, our, our jar of flour and oil, and we're going to eat that. That's all the food we'll have. We're gonna, I was going to cook it, and we're going to eat it and die because of the famine. And Elijah said, well, cook it for me first. And after that, that that jar of flour and the jug of oil will never go empty during a famine. And and so that's the story. Now, notice that Jesus said that uh, in verse 25 that there were many widows in where? Israel. But where did God send Elijah? He sent to this widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And Sidon is actually where Jezebel, the evil queen, was from. And, th- and this was a Gentile widow. So here's Jesus telling the, the people in his hometown, saying, look, there's a lot of widows, Jewish widows, but where, who did God send it to? A Gentile widow, matter of fact, from the same town as evil Jezebel. And this was a story. This was something that probably the Jewish guys didn't want to talk about because what? God favoring the Gentile guy? What, what was that? What, what, what's that now? And then he adds this story in verse 27. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So he says another story. This is 2 Kings 5. Remember, he was saying there were many lepers in Israel, Jewish, right? Uh, people with leprosy in the time of Elisha, which was Elijah's protege, the next prophet that came up. And who did God uh, use? Elisha to... Tell, you remember the story, Naaman the general, the Syrian general, to, to go to the, he came to Elisha, and Elisha said, go wash in the Jordan, and eventually wash in the Jordan, he was cleansed of, of the leprosy. So here's Jesus again, hey, there's a lot of Jewish lep- lepers, but who did uh, God, you, you know, send there? Well, there was this Gentile general, this Syrian guy. So again, it's like, oh, what is this? God, what? God doing this? What? You see, Jesus is trying to reach them by saying, you know what? You guys not believing, you're no different from all of Israel who are living in unbelief right now. That's what he's saying. But God sent salvation and help to the spiritually poor, blind, oppressed. That was the idea that these guys, they... They wanted help. They were poor They in their spirit and in their heart. So God went to them. Whereas the rest of Israel, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I got it all together. And that's what these guys are doing. These guys in, in the Jewish synagogue at the time where Jesus is standing, they had this attitude that they had it all together. Their pride, legalism. All they could see was, you're just this little boy. Yeah. Ah, no, they weren't broken looking for God. Well, that didn't go over very well, because look at the very next verse, verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They got totally angry. They rose up, drove him out of the town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, this cliff, so that they could, look at this, throw him down the cliff. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? I mean, this is his hometown. These are guys he, he knows face to face. He grew up there. They all know him. These are like elders, respected elders of the synagogue. They all come in. They all grab him to what? Kill him for what he's saying. Isn't that crazy? So that only shows their pride. That only shows their, oh, who, how dare you say that to me? Yeah, they're not broken. They're not looking for God, really. They're thinking they're all okay. But look at verse 30. A miracle happens. But passing through their midst, he went away. Don't you love that? I don't know how that happened. I don't know if all of a sudden, you know, God just went, stop. And he just walked between them all. Or maybe he, he like went invisible and they, they were like, where'd he go? 
Regal, you know, kind of thing. I was thinking about, um, uh, uh, what's the movie? Uh, it's a Wonderful Life when the angel disappears. Where did he go? You know, kind of thing. I don't know. But either way, a miracle happened. Now, they just, I think they saw a miracle. Maybe it wasn't what they wanted. But hopefully, some of them were spoken to. So, this out-of-control lynch mob. We come to our last point. Sadly, Jesus' hometown missed the opportunity to be the first to embrace the expected Messiah. Isn't that sad? Jesus goes to his hometown to minister there first, to officially make his mission statement. And sadly, his hometown missed the opportunity to be the first to embrace this expected, expected Messiah. Uh, years ago, when our church took a trip to Israel and did a tour there, uh, one of the stops we made was in Nazareth. And when we went there, it was there's nothing big about this town, but there's a site on this cliff where well, you know the tour buses go, and um, traditionally they say, "Oh, this is this is where this all this happened." And we got to be there, and it was late in the day, the sun was setting, and it was freezing cold you guys it was just freezing and and my wife and i we were we were, we were doing worship and and a pa- another pastor did a study and and but it was just freezing cold and we talked about this event here in luke that we're looking about but and and it was like maybe we played the songs faster because it was cold no i don't know you know but it was so cold we were like shaking but i'll tell you what even though it was cold even though it's hard i would not miss that opportunity for the world to be there and it's still in my mind every time i read this passage you know, God is here tonight, and He's speaking us to us tonight, and Jesus is speaking, and you know, let's not miss the opportunity of how Jesus is working in our lives tonight. Whatever is we're reading and studying here, and whatever is being said, and whatever the Holy Spirit's saying to you, don't miss the opportunity. And I think in this passage, we see the town here, the people in the synagogue, they, Jesus didn't live up to their expectations. So they're rejecting, what, Jesus? Nah, the Messiah, nah. He wouldn't come from Nazareth, you know. He, he, I mean, what? No way, you know, all this. And so sometimes our preconceived ideas of Jesus and God will stop us and we miss that opportunity that God is giving us. And so let's be careful of that, like here. You know, I, 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 when we were up there on, on that cliff in, in Nazareth and doing worship, it was cold and I could have been super distracted, you know, with all of that. Ah, let's get out of here, whatever. But I, I really didn't want to miss the opportunity of being there, of where this event was and being in Israel and just taking it all in, freezing and all. But just to say, wow, 2,000 years ago, this was the place. This was what happened. The Bible is coming alive to me, you know, here. So as we close, you guys, let's come to Jesus. Let's trust him in who he says he is. And let, let's not our own preconceived ideas or even say prejudice of the messenger, right? They were like, what, Jesus? Yeah, no, cannot be. Stop God from working in your life. Because you know what? He wants to bring a revival into our hearts. And I want to close with this. I was thinking about, you guys know how in, in the 1820s, the first missionaries came to Hawaii, right? And the seeds of the gospel were planted, and they began to grow, sprout and grow. And, and fruit came. A great harvest came. And by the time 1837 hit, about 17 years later, this revival broke out. And, and, and people, all the Hawaiians there, even the Ali'i were, were, were giving their lives to Jesus Christ. Uh, for example, I love these stories. On, on the big island, there was uh, the uh, Haile Church in Hilo swelled to 10,000 10, people, you guys. Uh, they say that was probably the largest in, in all of, of, of the world, they're saying. 10,000 in this church. People were hungry for the word and for the gospel. Now, at that time, Hilo only had 1,000 people. But all around, uh, people would walk and travel 50, 60 miles just to come and hear God's word. 
Titus Cohen, one of the missionaries, the co-pastor of Haile Church, uh, wrote that in these outdoor meetings, multitudes would be just weeping aloud and repentance and prayer. And the moving of God was so great that one person reported one could scarcely go in any direction, the sugar cane or banana groves, without finding like women and children praying and weeping before God. It was a strong move of God on all the islands. Well, in a few short years, the whole nation had changed. There was, they, were, they say there was more Christians per capita in Hawaii than the continental U.S. A census taken later in 1853 showed a total Hawaiian population of 71,019 people. But they said 68,241 had said they belonged to the Christian church. You know what that is? 96%. 96% of the population in Hawaii at that time were Christians. And this is what they call the um, called Hawaii's Great Awakening. It's around 1837 to 1850 or so in the 50s. And so you can say it was official that salvation came to Hawaii. And there's so much stories that come out of that. And, you know, I say this because there is a heritage that, uh, that has happened before us living here today. And may... A revival come to all of our hearts. That you know what? That everyone would know without a doubt that Jesus is here. Let's pray. Lord, as we have studied in your word tonight, God, how rich and great is your love toward us. How wonderful is the hope we have in you, Jesus. You love us so much. And and what you've done in salvation, God, isn't some legalism, isn't a what I call quote-unquote religion, but it's really a relationship, Lord, that you made the way that we can have with you. And so, God, I pray tonight as we realize these things that we would not reject you, that we would not be prejudiced at all, that we would not have preconceived ideas about you and what you should do, but we would go to you and just plainly, simply receive your love for us that you've done and dying on the cross and rising again. And Lord, as we go to you, may you give us life to live this life that you've given us, a new life. We're a child of God now, that we've been made a new creation, and now you've given us the ability and the power with the Holy Spirit living in, in us to be able to love you back, to live for you, and to become all that you want us to be. Thank you, God. You've done everything. All we need to do is come to you and believe and receive this gift. So, Lord, stir in our hearts up. However long we've been with you, however new, Lord, may you stir up within us a revival, God, that everyone could see and we can see in our own hearts that, Jesus, you are here. You are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.